So before I start, because you guys don't want to hear my words, I promise you, you guys don't want to hear my words. Um, my word does not, or like will not have power to it. God's word is the only thing that has power to it. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, because that's the most important thing I can do, and we can do. So pray with me. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your word is good, that it does not return void, as Heather said earlier. God, thank you that it is our firm foundation and that we get to rely on you because you are a good, good father. Father, I invite you to be present in this room. I ask that you would speak through me, that I would just be a broken vessel that would speak your truth that would proclaim what you have done in my life. You've redeemed me. You've saved me. You've, done, you've brought me life and life abundant. And I ask that if someone in this room does not have that joy in life, that today would be the day that they walk out redeemed and saved because your word can do that. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we are all gathered here and united. I ask that today lies would be exposed, and that truth would be um, proclaimed. We love you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys have a little pamphlet, pan a piece of paper, I should say, because it's really only one piece of paper. Um, I would invite you to write down, we're going to go through eight common lies that our culture believes. And here's the thing. This comes because, like, I, like, was praying through, Lord, what do you want me to talk about in Florida? And this was, like, a couple months ago. Our team decided on a topic that I was like, okay, yeah, I'll start running with. I started prepping for that, and then all of a sudden I was like, nope. Every time I started prepping for that, the Lord put something different on my heart and was like, I don't think you're supposed to talk about that. I think I'm supposed to talk about something else. And this, like, popped in my head because of you guys. Check because of you guys, like y'all's what your culture and what you guys are living in is honestly consumed with a bunch of lies. So I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> y'all are consumed, like y'all are living in a culture that throws lies at you. Commercials, like social media, like so much of our world is full of deep lies. And a lot of times what's scary is we don't recognize the lies. So I'm going to expose eight lies that are culture that you guys have somehow, I have also fallen into the temptation of believing. And my prayer, guys, is that you walk out having this, this piece of paper in front of you so that when you are tempted by these thoughts, when you are tempted to believe these lies, you go back to the truth because the truth is the only thing that will set you free from these things. So if you are a gardener, I'm not a gardener, I'm actually, I kill every plant, so please don't give me a plant, <laughs> no joke. Um, but if you are a gardener, you know that weeds are not good, right? But if you just kind of like glazed over and cut with a piece of scissors the weed, the weed would like come back like 30 days later, two days later, I don't know how long weeds take to grow, but they come back, right? So what do you have to do? You have to go to the root and pluck it out, right? Okay, so we're going to get to the root of a lot of the, the temptations, of a lot of the ways that we're living. We're going to get to the root of it. If I played the G chord, 
guys hear that? Okay, what if I t untuned it a little bit? Sorry, I didn't tell you guys, are you gonna do this, Isaac? What if I like completely messed it up? I hope I don't break a string. What if I just like messed it up and went like this? Yikes, right? Okay. Okay, so I played the exact same chord. My fingers were in the exact same place, but what sounded different? All of it. <laughs> like you could not even tell me that's a G chord, right? But how did you know that was not a G chord? Because it didn't sound like it, but like you had to know what a G chord sounded like, right? In order to know that doesn't sound right. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm today gonna show you what is right so that when you hear what is wrong, untuned, that the culture is telling you, you know, wait, 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 that sounds off. Does that make sense? Something sounds wrong. Pause, and let's back it up with truth. And that's what community is for, is to go back and say, hey, 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 I heard you say this, or I saw you do this. I'm gonna encourage you, that is not the right G chord. <laughs> You don't need to say that, but you guys probably know it. Now you'll know how to call each other out. That's not the right G chord. That doesn't sound like truth, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. So what is a lie? A lie is a false statement with deliberate intent to deceive. It's an imposter, an imposter to the truth. Satan wants more than anything, as John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. Okay, so what does the enemy want? to steal joy from you and life from you, to, to kill life and take that from you, and to destroy you. <laughs> like Satan wants to destroy you, but the end of that sentence doesn't, like the period is not there. The period is, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullness. Like life to the fullness. That's what Jesus, is, Jesus said. So Satan's like tactics is to be a liar and to destroy you, to just like pour out these lies into your culture and to use like media, use um, TV, use people around you, use false teachers, use so many of these things to deceive you from the right, from the actual truth, from the life to the fullness. And unfortunately, I have fallen into these often. And what I have to do a lot is pause and say, wait, that did not sound right. Confess it, walk in freedom, walk in truth that, backs, that um, follows. Does anyone know where the first lie was? Adam and Eve, yeah, Genesis 3. Okay, so if you have a Bible, go to Genesis 3 with me. We're going to start with verse 1. So this is right after God created all and said it was good, okay? It says this, we're going to start in verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now circle the word any, because that is like, that is a planting, Satan's planting doubt in her mind. Okay, planning doubt, because the truth actually is you can eat of any tree except this one. But Satan's already tim like twisting it a little bit to say, did God actually say you can't have eat of any tree? Reality, no, that's not actually what God said. You can eat of any except for this one. But did God actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and the, their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they, they put fig trees together. Okay, so what's my goal here, or what, why, am I, why am I saying this? Because the original lie is did God actually say, which goes back to like, is God really good? If God is really good, he probably would tell you, you can eat of anything that I made, right? You can eat of anything. So the original lie is, is God really good? Did I, God actually say that? And Eve fell into the temptation like I do often of saying, she, she did not know what the original G chord sounded like, enough and stand on that enough to say, wait, when I hear that, I cannot dwell on that or I cannot act on that. But instead, she acted on that lie and gave into it. She gave into that. And so from this time forward, we ourselves as human beings are, are like we wrestle with this balance between like truth and lies, truth and lies. In our culture, you see it, guys, from wars around us. You see it from earthquakes. You see it from um, death that's hard. You see it from, like, parents' divorce like mine were. You see it from my brother, my sweet brother. I love him so much. was born with Down syndrome. There's so many questions. It's like, why would a good God allow this to happen? Why would a good God allow this to happen in my life? If God was actually good, why is this happening? 2 Corinthians, we're going to get to that in a second. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3 says this, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you, this is Paul speaking, to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This is basically the analogy of we ourselves are the bride of Christ, and Christ is the bridegroom, okay? He, Paul says this, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so by his deception, right, your thoughts will be led astray from what? a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, so Satan's goal is to distract you from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Romans 1 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Listen to this, And exchanged the glory of an immortal God, so a lowercase g, anything that God created for images, sorry, sorry, an immortal God, meaning God is like infinite, powerful. He's over all for something that is a lowercase g, anything that God created for, for anything resembling mortal man or birds or animals or creeping things as he ends that sentence. So Satan's goal is to deceive you into thinking that God's creation might be better than the creator that that will satisfy you, maybe over that, that God is not really good, therefore this, to distract you from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. John 8 says this, John 8, 31 through 32, and Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my words, word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? 
set you free, right? So if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So we're going to dive through some of these truths, but first I'm going to say this. What you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. It's not the opposite. Behavior won't change unless the heart changes first. So what you believe determines how you behave. So we're going to dive through, guys. What do you believe? Are you believing these lies? Are you dwelling on them? Are you acting on them? Or do you know the truth? Do you know that that G chord is not the right G chord? Do you know that something sounds off? Because you know originally what it sounds like is right. So lie number one, there's a blank that you guys can start filling out. God is not good. Therefore, God does not do good. But the original lie, God is not good. How many of you maybe have never said this sentence of like, man, God's not really good. But you've thought this, like, (laughs) a good God would not allow me to walk through this. A good God would not allow me to walk through this. Or asking these hard questions of like, if you really loved me, God then this would happen. Then I would be more popular. I wouldn't be as lonely. Guys, I walked through my parents' divorce a couple years, when I was your age, when I was in high school, and it was one of the hardest things to reconcile, the fact that a loving father, my infinite, like, good, good father being, being God himself, would allow something so hard that allowed me to, like, that drove me to my knees on the ground before him, of why God, why? Psalms say this all the time, why, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? And I think this wrestle is okay. It's okay to say, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? But then, reminding yourself of the truth of, wait, God, your word does say you are good. So help me to stand on that and know that you do good. If you are good, therefore you do good. And I get to choose to believe that daily. But often, often I find myself being deceived by this lie. Is God actually good? (laughs) Is God actually good? Because if you do not know this, if you do not know this truth, like this isn't going to make sense. So that's why we're starting with this lie because I feel like this is the most important truth that you can hear, that God is good, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he is with you in the hard, he is with you in the good. He is infinite, he is over all, he sees you where you are at, and he cares, and he cares. So truth number one, he is good. Psalm 119.68 says, God is good and everything he does is good. Yo, if you could put that to memory right there, super easy. God is good and everything he does is good. God is good and everything he does is good. Right there. Psalm 119.68, that's a verse you can easily memorize right there. So when you're tempted to believe he is not good, or when you're tempted to think he's withholding something good from you, he's withholding a relationship, he's withholding something from you, whatever that is that you're like fill in the blank, when you're tempted to believe that, go back to this truth. God is good and everything he does is good, even when I don't see it, even when I don't understand, even when I don't, when I don't know why. God is good, and he does good. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Psalm 105 said, the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations. You guys have a couple more verses I'm not going to go through, but 
the point is God is good. God is good. Truth number two, God does good and never makes mistakes. Isaiah 46.10 says this, My counsel shall stand, and, and I will accomplish all of my purposes. Basically what it's saying is like when, when God's word is proclaimed, he, he like, it, it cannot go void. Like it does not return empty. So he accomplishes all that, he, that his purposes are. Romans 8.28, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So stand on these truths. Truth number three, God is the giver of good gifts. God is the giver of good gifts. But if we do not know the truth number one is true, we're not going to know that this one's true either. Matthew seven eleven says this, If then who are you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I have a three-year-old niece, y'all, and I'm absolutely obsessed with her. She's the cutest little thing. Her name is Clara. I have, a, I have two nephews as well. But I think for, like, because I'm a girl, I get to watch her through the eyes of a child. My brother is her father, but the way that she looks at my brother and the way that she adores my brother and trusts him that the things that he gives her is good is like a, such a sweet reminder to my heart of if someone who is evil, someone who is wicked, someone who is a sinner like my brother, like me, knows how to give good gifts. And it says, how much more than does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts? He created you. He knit you together in, his mother's, in your mother's womb. He knows you. He knows you. He cares. He loves you. So God, knows, God gives good gifts to those who walk with him according to his purposes. Psalm 34.10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is another verse I've been meditating on a lot this year. The young lions suffer want and hunger. They're, they're hungry for it. Lions can always eat. It's my favorite animal. Lions can always eat, right? There's, if they see something they want, they're going to eat it. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Y'all, these truths, so that when we're, like, these truths are what I pray that you guys go home and take with you, that you put them to your memory. They're, like, on the forefront of your mind, which means, like, when you're tempted to believe it, it's the first thing that comes out of your mouth, because what you believe determines then how you behave and how you act on that. If Eve believed God was really good in that moment, she might not have taken that, that, app, that fruit, <laughs> She might not have, I don't know, I don't know, I, I can't go back and replay that, right? But what you believe determines how you behave. So God is the giver of good gifts. You have a couple more verses. Um, Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. What does it say next? I shall not want. Another version says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. If the Lord is your good shepherd, like a shepherd knows his sheep, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. So my question for you to wrap this one up, is there any place in your life that you are having a hard time trusting God in? If you really were going to think about it, is there any place in your life where you're like, I don't know if I can trust you here? My encouragement to you would be don't leave today. Don't go to bed tonight without sharing it with someone. And if you are the one who is listening to what is being shared, my encouragement to you is to remind them of the truth, of his, of his, that he is good. If he is good, therefore you can trust him. 
Going back to my three-year-old niece, if, if my brother did not tell her, hey, Clara, don't go run in the street. Hey, Clara, don't touch the stove. That would be, like, that would be awful, <laughs> right? Like sometimes these things, these, like, these, these boundaries are good for us, are healthy. Because why? Because he loves her. Because he loves her. Lie number two, God is not enough. Maybe you, don't, you haven't specifically said this one as well. Maybe you've never spoken this sentence before. But like me, maybe you have said this. If I just had this, then it'd be all good. <laughs> if I just had more friends, then I'd be good. If I just had a boyfriend, if I just had a girlfriend, if I just had a, a better car, if I just had more money, if I just made the team, if I just did this, if I just, did, if I just had this, then it'd all be good. <laughs> it'd all be good. That's all I need. But just like you probably asked for like the, the thing that you wanted the most as a, as a child for Christmas, you probably received that gift, and yet what? You played with it for a couple days, and now you probably don't play with it, right? Anymore. Like nothing satisfies we're always, we have this like, like longing in our heart that wants something to satisfy. And what God's word says is that he alone can satisfy. He alone can fill that gap that you guys are looking for, that I'm searching for. He alone can fill that. So when you're asking these questions, they, the ultimate root of it is God is not enough. The lie is God is not enough for me, that I need something else in order to satisfy if you come to PCPC often, we use this phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So my challenge, my question for you is, do you really believe that? Or can I ask, what is like that, what would you fill in the gap? If I did not tell you what that gap was, what that blank was, what would you fill in the gap? Jesus plus this equals this, equals everything. Jesus plus this equals everything. What would the gap be? Is it truly nothing? Can I, can I ask a genuine question? Could it be that like your addiction to drinking is actually a root of like, it's not just like I wanna have fun, but it's actually a root of like, man, if I just had more friends, if I was just more popular, then I'd be good. Can I ask that your addiction to looking in the mirror for 45 minutes is actually a cry for like approval of man too? That you're not satisfied in who, God, in, in who God is, and that God has created you fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knows you, that he loves you, and that he cares about you, that he is a good, good father that we sang about last night. Do you know that? <laughs> Do you really know that? Guys, are you starting to see that how you, what you believe determines how you behave? <laughs> it does. And so that's why I'm, like, I pray that you guys take this truth and apply it to your everyday life. Tom Brady, if you guys were in, I think, Will's um, seminar yesterday, he brought this up too. But he probably worked from, like, the very beginning of his life, right? He started playing football, I don't know when, as a young, probably from a young age, had this, like, deep desire to, I don't know. But I feel like, if I'm correct, if you're a football player, the best thing that you could possibly think of as a kid, you're like, man, if I just had a Super Bowl ring, right? Like, it was, that's, like, probably the highest you could get, right? That would be like, I made it, I made it, Right? Okay, so what Tom Brady won, right? And the first thing he said was, let's go get another. <laughs> We're going to go do it again. 
Why? What's the ultimate lie in that? That's not enough. Like, that didn't satisfy him, right? His probably, like, I guarantee you his entire life, he was like, man, if I just could make it to the Super Bowl and, and win the Super Bowl, I'd be good. We'd be good. We'd, like, check that off the list. I'd be the best in the world, whatever that looks like. But yet, when that happened, all of a sudden, he was like, all right, that wasn't good enough. Let's, let's try it again. <laughs> let's do it again. I think celebrities, if, we're, if, if celebrities were honest, they'd probably say the same thing. If I just had more fans, if, I was, if, if my music was just more popular, if I just made it to the top 10 charts, yet like, <laughs> it, it, it's running dry for them. It's running dry. Have you guys read the, the book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Yeah, as a child? Can I be honest and say that book is like literally the biggest lie ever? Actually, it exposes, it exposes the lie within us of like God, if nothing can satisfy us. It exposes actually that truth of like, if you give a mouse a cookie, then he wants what? Milk. milk. If you give him milk, is he satisfied? No. Y'all, the entire book is a, tra- like, is a train of like, if I just had this, okay, then if I just had this, well, then if I just had this, that'd be good. So it's literally like that is what our culture does. That is literally like the definition of our culture right there. If I just had this, I'd be good. Well, then wait, now I need a glass of milk. <laughs> okay, now we're going to have this. That, I think, is like the trend in our lives. That is like the, the, the train I see myself believing at times. If I just had this, I'd be good. But truth number one says this, nothing of this world can or will satisfy you. Nothing in this world can or will satisfy you. John 4, 13 through 18, I'm not going to read, like, read this entire section, but the gist of it says, is a story of a woman who meets Jesus at a well. Jesus encounters her at this well, and um, one, she's a Samaritan, which is like kind of a, against like, cultural dynamics right there that Jesus himself, as a guy and as a Jew, would go up to um, the, a Gentile woman, a Samaritan, and be like, hey, can you give me some water? And she responds being like, wait, what do you mean? You don't, like, why are you asking me? But the gist of it is this, that she, she says, okay, where is this living water? Because Jesus said, actually, you're, you're drinking from the wrong well. You're drinking from the wrong well. But if you just had, like, the living water, then you'd be good. So it'd be something that's like someone that, like, says to you, hey, hey, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Then all of a sudden her ears are perked and are like, okay, well, then what's the right way? Jesus says, I am the living water. Like, I, like drink from me. I am the living water. I am all that you need. He says, go grab your husbands. She says, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus responds saying, you are right in saying so. You have five. The gist of it, y'all, is Jesus meeting her within her brokenness and saying, Hey, you are searching for the wrong thing. You thought that husband number one would fulfill you. It didn't. You go to the next one. You thought that this would fulfill you. You go to the next one. But the beautiful part of it is that Jesus is not scared of that. Jesus is not like, oh, she's like, (laughs) she's had five husbands. I'm scared. No, he meets her in that broken state. It's like, it's like analogy of like putting a hole in the bottom of a cup and going to a soda fountain and saying, Dr. Pepper, Sprite, Powerade, Coke, like, but there's a hole in the bottom of it. So maybe it satisfies for a second and it's good, but it's dripping and it literally will run dry. But the truth behind it is that God's word will never run dry. The truth is it is that nothing of this world will satisfy or can 
satisfy. Truth number two, he alone can satisfy. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Another, I said this before, Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I shall not want. I shall not want for anything else because I have all that I need. There's a couple more verses, but I'm going to say this one in Psalm 22, 26. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he, he fills with good things. He alone can satisfy. Sin, or line number two, sorry, three. My sin really isn't that bad. My sin really isn't that bad. If you're like me, you've probably caught yourself using these words. Well, at least I don't do that. <laughs> well, at least I don't do this. <laughs> I know I gossip, but at least I don't do it in front of their face. <laughs> I know I cheat, but at least I'm not caught. <laughs> I know I do this, but man, if I, I'm, I don't look like her. I don't look like him. What we're saying is that my sin is really not that bad. <laughs> what we're saying is my sin is really not that bad. Truth number one, we are all sinners. Sorry to say it. I'm up here a sinner as well. I'll be the first to say, Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. A guy who wrote 13 books of the Bible said at the very end of his life, I'm the chief of all sinners. Wait, what? (laughs) Basically, Paul is claiming, I'm a sinner too. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. 3.23, a couple verses after, for all have sinned in what? fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Can we just establish that? (laughs) You, me, you, me, you, me, we're all sinners, okay? So we need to know that first. My sin really isn't that bad. Let's establish the fact that we are actually all sinners. We cannot compare. (laughs) We're all sinners on the same playing ground. Jeremiah um, well, I'm going to go. Psalm 51.5 says, We are brought forth in iniquity. Jeremiah 17.9 says, Our hearts are desperately wicked. <laughs> Our hearts are desperately wicked. Truth number two, sin is breaking a relationship. It's rebellion. The definition of sin, one of the definitions, there's actually a lot of definitions of sin, but is a failure to fulfill a goal. So what's the goal? Matthew 27, or 22, 37 through 40 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's, what's the, what are we breaking? What's it rebellion against? Loving God and loving others, that we are all image bearers of, of God. And if we are image bearers of God, when we gossip against some, we are, we are someone, we are gossiping against his beauty and creation and an image bearer of who he is. So your sin is bad. My sin is bad. It breaks. It is breaking of a relationship, y'all. It's not just like, oh, I got away with it. I'm good. No, it grieves him. Because in the same way that's like, you would not want to do something that hurts someone you love. Like, one, know God loves you, and when you truly are overtaken by that, we can only love because, because God first loved us. And when we know that, I pray that it drives us to this understanding that my sin does grieve him. 
My sin does hurt him. I don't want to hurt him because he loves me. Because I love him and I don't want to hurt him. Truth number three, sin has consequences to it. Y'all, I, my senior year of college, um, was my, one of my best friends got engaged um, at that exact moment that I was driving. And I looked down at my phone. Texting and driving is a sin. Or is a, no, oh, it's, it is a sin because it breaks the law, right? And the law is don't text and drive, okay? So I will be the first to admit I hit someone, and the other person in front of me hit another person. So yes, a three-person car wreck, okay? Um, it wasn't bad. I'm good. No one got injured. But I could justify it in that, or I could say, yeah, 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 I did wrong. I did wrong. I glanced out at my phone because my friend just got engaged. She sent a cute picture. I got really excited. I glanced down. But basically what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is my sin in that moment had a consequence to it. Someone had to pay the consequence. And actually, by the, like, it wasn't me. <laughs> it actually was my dad because I had no money. I was a senior in college, and I had no money. I actually worked for Chick-fil-A. Yes, you can go find pictures. Um, but it is my pleasure to serve you guys. Just kidding. <laughs> um, my, my, like, someone had to pay the consequence to it, okay? Someone had to pay the consequence, and my dad did. And I think when I would go back to the story when I was thinking through um, this truth, it almost brought me to tears, to be honest, because it reminded me that just like my earthly father had to, had to pay the penalty here, Christ had to pay the penalty for me. That a penalty had to be paid for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame, for my mistake, for my rebellion against the, the authorities, for my rebellion against um, the, the, the law. Someone had to pay the consequence. If you know the story of Narnia, it's one of my favorite um, but honestly, movies slash book and books. And the first one, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, Aslan, or Edmund comes in guilty, right? The scene where he comes into the camp, he comes in guilty. The white witch meets Aslan, right, at the camp. Okay, what does she say? You have a traitor in your midst. And everybody's like, ooh, traitor, I know. What's going to happen? And what she says is that everybody knows that if someone, tra- is, if someone is a traitor, if someone rebels, they have to die. Romans 6, 20, 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, right? So if someone rebels, they have to die. Aslan says what? Okay, I, I get it. I get it. I know someone has to die. Takes the white witch into the tent. They talk for a second. They come back out and says, he's good to go. He's good to go. And everybody's rejoicing, thinking maybe they, like, I don't know what they did, but they worked something out. Well, we find out later that actually Aslan himself took the consequence for Edmund right? Y'all, that is the story, that our sin has consequences to it, and it put Jesus himself instead of you on the cross, that I deserved the cross. I deserved the beating. I deserved the nails to my hands. I deserved the crown, the thorns that pierced my head. I deserved the, the beating and the whipping, and yet he himself said, no, 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 you're my child, <laughs> And I will wrap you in my righteousness so that you can walk out free to go like Edmund did. But I will take it for you. That is like our sin grieves him. And it cost him something. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus himself. 
there is consequences to sin. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That is what I just talked about with Aslan. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Y'all, Tim Keller says this. He just passed away recently. He's one of the most transformational men that has spoken to me. Um, not personally, I guess, but he's a pastor, so you can look him up. He's awesome. Um, he, says that, he says this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, not when we are all cleaned up and ready to go, but at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than ever dared to hope. Dared hope. So at the same time that we are broken and desperate and in sin, we are also more loved and more cherished than we'd ever dared hope to believe. That is the gospel right there. Line number four, if anyone knew my sin, they wouldn't love me. I have to hide it. If anyone knew my sin, they wouldn't love me. I have to hide it. There's a couple people in my life that know every part of my, like everything. (laughs) And it is one of the most freeing things. Y'all, I want you to think about a time maybe a lie was exposed because you were lying to your parents for a long time and then all of a sudden it was brought to the light and you thought, oh my gosh, this might be the worst thing ever for it to come to the light, yet it was also one of the most freeing things. At the same time, like when it actually happened, it was like, oh, I feel like a weight is lifted off my shoulder. (laughs) Y'all, that is like, that is the beauty of confession. That is the beauty of bringing something that is in the dark that we feel like we have to hide to the light. And we get to meet each other in that and say, hey, you are still loved. You're more, yes, you're broken and and, and sinful, but we are still loved. So truth number one, again, we are all sinners We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Truth number two, for those in Christ. So for those who know who Jesus is, who have accepted him as Lord and Savior, for those who are in Christ, condemnation is from Satan. So that feeling of being condemned, that feeling of being guilty, that feeling of getting like being so shameful over something you've done is from Satan. Yet conviction is from the Lord. How do I know this? Romans 8.1 says this, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer condemned for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3.16-17 says, For God so loved the world. So the, the root of it is he loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that you might have life now. So that when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy you, you would actually get to walk out with life and life abundantly. But then 17, we, we often start, like, stop at verse 16, but 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Condemnation is not from Jesus. Conviction is, though. John 7, 16, 7 through 9 says this, or 7 through 8 says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. This is Jesus' words. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, okay, that he's called the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. So conviction is a good thing. That feeling of oh, I may have done something wrong, is actually to expose it and bring it to the light and say, you know what, I, I did. <laughs> and one of the beautiful parts is that he meets us there and says, I know, <laughs> I know, I know you did that. I still love you. But confession 
is actually an incredibly biblical thing to do. My truth number three is confession slash repentance is the key to a life of a believer. Confess means to agree or to admit. It's basically coming into agreement with God and saying, I know sin is sin, and it's an offense made against God. So actually, one commentary said this, confessing sins to others breaks the power of secret sin that relieves you from having to hide or cover up. Y'all, no one likes to hide. No one likes to hide from something. So my challenge for you is don't go to bed tonight without bringing whatever that, like, oh, feeling is to the light. One, confession before the Lord. Two, confess it to another believer that you trust that will wrap your arms around, their arms around you and say, hey, you're forgiven and loved. I love you. Walk in the truth now. Walk in the light. And I'm proud of you for sharing that. Like, bring it to the light, y'all. Don't live in this bondage of hiding. I think it's honestly, like, suffocating at times. <laughs> and I've experienced it, too. That's why I'm saying it so passionately is because I've walked in darkness in that. I've kept something I thought I was, like, if, if anyone knew this about me, they would not love me. And yet, as soon as I shared it, it was like, I love you even more for saying that. Thank you for saying that. You are loved. You are precious. Thank you for sharing that. First uh, John 1, I'm going to just say verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Psalm 51, y'all, star this, because this is a place where I like, would challenge you to go back. It basically says this, Have mercy, O God, on me. Have mercy, I'm a sinner. Create in me a clean heart. Created me a clean heart. I know I'm a sinner. This is David pleading before the Lord after he himself fell into temptation. He's pleading before the Lord and saying, Have mercy on me, O God. I'm a sinner. Have mercy. Wash me clean. Wash me clean, whiter than snow. Psalm 20, or 32, 3 through 5 says this For when I kept silence, silent, my bones wasted away. How many of y'all have ever experienced that? When I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your, hands were your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up in the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin before you. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is the good news of the gospel. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Find healing in it. Confess one to the Lord, two to others. Walk in the truth of the light. Truth number four, if a holy and righteous God forgives you, then why are we scared to confess it to other unrighteous people? <laughs> Have you all ever thought about that? Like if the holy and reverent and righteous God has forgiven you, then why are we scared to confess it to someone else who is a sinner too? Like, <laughs> Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Judge not that you may not be judged. And, and it basically goes into saying, Hey, when you see the speck in your friend's eye, remember you, ha you yourself have a plank in your eye. So it's going from like this tiny little thing in your neighbor's eye, remember that you have a plank in your eye. <laughs> basically what it's saying is like, we have no grounds to say, Yeah, 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 at least I don't do that. <laughs> I'm just as much a sinner in need of a Savior. Matthew 11, 
says this, talks about, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus' words. I will give you rest. Second Corinthians 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Y'all listen to this. So if God, is, if God comforts us in our affliction, which is what it says here, if God comforts us in our affliction, so that we ourselves may also be able to comfort those who are in affliction. So we ourselves have been loved, therefore we can love. We ourselves have been comforted, therefore we can comfort others. What it's saying is when we confess to one another on the other side, when you're listening and you're receiving that, the greatest thing, like you're basically showing the comfort of Jesus, the rest found in Jesus when you are receiving that and saying, I know, thank you for exposing that. Like remind your friend of truth and then, and then walk, walk in that, walk in that freedom that is in that. So don't waste, or don't, don't leave here having something that you're hiding. Don't leave here having something that you have not confessed and walked in freedom from. Line number five, there is an end to God's grace. I've gone too far. I'm scared to go to God with my sin, and there's no way he will forgive me. Let me start by saying this. Truth number one. Christ came to save sinners. Mark 2, 17 says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Basically what it's saying is when you go, like, you, like if, you're, if you're completely healthy, you don't go to the doctor, right? Like I don't, I don't just go to the doctor because I'm like, oh, I know I'm great. <laughs> I go to the doctor when I'm sick, right? And I need someone to like, help me. Jesus said, I came for those who know you're sick and they need me. <laughs> I will wrap my arms around you and comfort you. I came for those who know they are sick and in desperate need of me. That's who I came from. Not those who are like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But those who crawl to his feet and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Basically what it's saying is that there's no one too far gone that he cannot save. His grace abounds. There's no one too far gone that he cannot save. There is no end to his grace. Truth number two, grace upon grace, there's no end. I basically just said this verse, but in Romans 5, it talks about, but where sin increases, so think of a bar chart, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Grace abounds all the more. So it's like where that is, grace abounds. Where that is, grace abounds. But can I be the first to say this? That is not an excuse to sin. Grace upon grace is not an excuse to sin. It's not just like, oh, I know I'm going to be forgiven, so therefore I can walk in sin. No, because to be honest, when it really, when you really understand grace, it will change you. When you really understand grace, as truth number three says, grace is not an excuse to sin, but it says if grace is real to you, it will change you. Ephesians 2 says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace alone you have been saved, not by your good works. Stop trying to earn it. Not by your good works. It's grace upon grace. Y'all, there is no, <laughs> you have not gone too far that the Lord cannot redeem. You have not gone too far that the Lord cannot redeem. 
Line number, line number six, I can wait to get serious about God when I'm older, but for now I can do what I want. I can wait to get serious about God when I'm older, but for now I can do what I want. To be honest, I hear this probably one of the most around y'all, like around y'all's age. I can wait to get serious about who the Lord is until I'm older, but now I can do what I want. I'm just in high school. I can, I can do these fun things. I can walk in this, but when I turn 30, then I'll get my life together. <laughs> I don't have time to do this, but when I'm 30, I probably will have time. <laughs> can I be honest and say that's a lie? <laughs> I think my mom used to say this to me a lot. Satan's favorite word is tomorrow. I'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> I'll just do it tomorrow. Truth number one, we do not know the number of our days. We do not know the number of our days. We are not promised tomorrow. James 4, 14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little bit of a time and then vanishes, it is gone. So then Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. We are not promised tomorrow. So stop saying, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> because we don't know the number of our days. We do not know the number of our days. It is a lie from the pit of hell that says, today doesn't matter. <laughs> I can do what I want in high school right now, but then I'll get my life together. Truth number two, the Bible is clear that you are either one foot in or one, f- or one foot out. You cannot walk with, well, sorry, yeah. You're either two feet in or two feet out, you cannot walk with one foot in and one foot out. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one or love the other. He will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, as this one says, but you cannot serve fill in the blank. You cannot serve popularity in your friends and this. You cannot serve alcohol and this. You cannot serve this and this. You cannot serve your body image and that bondage of that and this. You're either one, you're either two feet in. You cannot walk with one foot in and one foot out. And I think this is a lie that I, I hear our culture talk about a lot, that I can do this, but, it, but I'm, still, I'm still good. Like, I'm, I'm still saved. God's grace still covers me. But don't wait to get serious about who he is. John, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, or pride, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of, the God, of God abides forever. Truth number three, when you truly know the fullness of his love and encounter his grace, you cannot help but follow. Peter encounters Jesus on a boat. He's a fisherman. That's his occupation. That's his job. That's how he makes money. That's how he survives is by catching fish. And Jesus met him at the, at the, at the water and said this in Matthew 4, 19 through 20. He said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The verse right after says, he went and tied up his boat, caught a couple more fish, and then, and then went and followed. No, 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 no. Just kidding. It actually says, immediately he left his net and followed. Immediately he left his net 
and followed. Matthew 4, um, 22, like a couple verses after that, then says, immediately they left their boat and followed as well, saying it twice, which means it's important to know it's not about, you cannot wait. Like when you truly know the fullness of his love and the fullness of his grace, it will change you. You can't help but follow because you yourself are like, whoa, I realize how desperate and sick I am and I need a savior. I realize how desperate, sick, deceitful my heart is. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, as Pete talked about and we sang about last night. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. That's my natural bent. My natural bent is I'm going that way. So, Lord, it is only by your grace that I go this way. It is only by your grace that I go this way. Truth number four, if you believe this lie, you are missing out on the abundance of life in him. We go back to that verse first I started with, John 10, 10. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I came that you would have life and life to the fullness. Life and life to the fullness. So guys, if you are believing this lie of I can wait to get serious, you're missing out on the abundance of life and joy found in him. You're missing out on that abundance of life found in him. John 6, 68 says, uh, Peter answers the Lord saying this, Lord, who, like, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So basically a lot of people stopped following him at that time and walked away. And Jesus is like, okay, are you going to do the same? And Peter responds, wait, no, 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 who, where am I to go? Where else could I go? You're the one who has eternal life, so I have to follow you. Like, I, I get to follow you. I have to. I need it. Nothing else of this world is going to, like, it will satisfy. Like, you have the words of eternal life. Not this. That is worth immediately following. Line number f- seven. If I feel something, it must be true. Okay, maybe you've never said this, but you've used the phrase, like, I cannot wait to get to the Florida trip because I feel God more there. Or, man, that camp high, so good. I wish it could stay all throughout life. The camp high. This is based on feelings, y'all. We're basing our, our faith and our religion that should not be based on feelings on a feeling of I feel him closer here. But truth number one is your heart is deceitful, so we cannot rely on our feelings. We cannot rely. We talked about this in John's, uh, or Jeremiah 17. The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's deceitful above all else. Mark, um, Mark 7, 21 through 23 says, from, for, with, for from within, out of the heart, the man comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitful, sensuality, envy, slander, pri- slander pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a person. Okay, so this is basically saying your heart is deceitful. You cannot listen to it. My camp director used to say this. If you go to Canacook, maybe you've heard it before. But feelings are, are true, but they're not reliable. Feelings are true, but they're not reliable. Jesus himself had feelings, to be honest. He experienced joy. John eleven thirty five 35 says he experienced sorrow. He experienced righteous anger. He experienced compassion. He was exhausted. He, was, he experienced agony. He himself experienced feelings and emotions. So that's not wrong, but they're not reliable. He had to continue to go back to the truth of his father's word that reminded him of, hang on, God's not more real here in Florida than he is at home. He is omnipresent. 
He is the same God here as he is there. He's the same God at Kanakuk as he is there. He's the same God at Pine Cove, fill in the blank, as he is at home, in your bedroom, <laughs> in your kitchen. He's the same God there in your, in your school as he is here. So we cannot base our religion based on feelings. We cannot base our religion based on this, I feel it, therefore it must be true. It's not based on that. Truth number three, we're almost done. Feelings change, but the word of God does not. Isaiah 40, 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Y'all, if we like walked in that every day, your word, Lord, is the lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what I need. Lie number eight, to close it out. I am a Christian because blank. You're probably like, wait, what? <laughs> but if you, I've heard a lot of you guys fill in this blank as this. I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I post on social media Bible verses. I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I go to a Christian school. I'm a good person. I do all these good things. I'm a Christian because blank. And if the blank is anything other than truth number one that says a relationship with Jesus is the only way to salvation, then you're filling in the blank wrong. To say it bluntly. <laughs> you're filling in the blank wrong. Truth number one is a relationship with Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus says these seven I am statements. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm the true vine. This is who Jesus is. He describes himself in two ways. I am gentle and lowly. We talked about this earlier. I'm gentle and lowly. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son Jesus so that whoever believes in him will what? Have eternal life. That is the way to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot get to the Father without Jesus, as John over and over says. You cannot get to the Father without Jesus. So what you believe determines how you behave. So my question is, what lie are you believing? What lies are you believing? I would challenge you to grab a friend and ask them, hey, what lie are you believing? Because this is the beauty of community that you get to come around each other. Ask your friends, hey, what lie are you believing? Point it out in someone. If you see that like the root of it is like, hey, you're searching for something that will not satisfy you. Therefore, can I tell you the truth to back this up? You will not find satisfaction in that. You will not find satisfaction. So what lie are you believing? Ask your friends what lie you're believing and remind each other of truth. Remind each other of truth. That is what community is. When you go home and you're walking in the school hallways, remind yourself, remind each other of the truth of God's word. I pray that you take these, these, uh, this piece of paper home and go back to these truths over and over and over because that G chord that you heard is, is what sounds right, right? But when you hear something that is not off, it is untuned to a weird way, you know, wait, 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 that doesn't sound right. Therefore, here's truth to back that up. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your word is good. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I ask that these students would hide your word in their heart that they, might, they may not sin against you. That your word would just be at the forefront of their mind, that they may not walk in these temptations that the enemy wants so much for them to believe that they would walk with one another 
hand in hand, center in center, and point each other to the grace and the love and the mercy of God. We thank you for this morning. I ask that you would bless our Devo time after this, that we would continue to walk in the truth and, and know when we hear lies what truth can back that up. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.